0: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
1: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
0: And today we're discussing Coming At Ya, released July 24th, 1981. It was written by Wolf Lowenthal, Lloyd Batista, and Gene Quintano, based on a story by Tony Anthony, or Anthony Anthony, I assume, with uncredited work from Esteban Cuenca and Ramon Plana, directed by Ferdinando Baldi, and released by Filmways Pictures, same as last week's blowout. This was the first 3D theatrical release of the 80s, and so we watched it that way, courtesy of MVD Visual's 3D Blu-ray release. Obviously, the title has nothing to do with the film, aside from referencing the 3D presentation.
2: Yeah, It also kind of bothers me that they take the G off of coming at you. Like, it
0: feels too modern for a Western. It does. I agree. Writer-producer star Gene Quintano and associate producer Marshall Lupo worked together as Xerox salesmen with an interest in filmmaking. They were acquaintances through a publishing firm with Spaghetti Western star Tony Anthony and joined forces with an intent from the beginning to revive the gimmick of 3D movies.
2: <laughs> I think they... The idea of calling something a gimmick and then saying you're gonna revive it is really funny. Like I I I I, th- I I like it.
0: I like that they admitted that it was a gimmick.
2: Yeah, I just mm. I just think that like usually when you fall in love with something like that, you're just like, Oh, it's you know, it's it's an art form, but no, they just embraced it from the beginning yeah. as a gimmick.
0: <laughs> no, it was it was business minded, I think. There were a few smaller releases of three D titles in the seventies, but for the most part the technology had been abandoned in the fifties. The producers believed it was time to roll out three D films for a new audience. They spent four years perfecting the technology and decided on the Western genre over horror, since Anthony had Western experience and horror movies were flooding the market while Westerns seemed to be dying off. They raised $3.5 million to produce and distribute the film independently. Tony Anthony seemed to have a good sense of humor about the project, confessing that it isn't Citizen Kane, but it's fun, and the star of the film was not the cast, but the technology, even admitting specifically, quote, They called it a gimmick twenty five years ago. It may still be a gimmick, but today it's a gimmick for a new generation. Let's give it a try. And I like that. That they were (laughs) just like whatever. This is fun. He probably just remembered it being fun when he was a kid and wanted to do that for other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the film was successful in paying for itself, with a distribution deal from Filmways, who the same day released our previous title, De Palma's Blowout, coming at you, even outperformed Blowout on a per-theater basis until its release was widened in response and theater managers had trouble sourcing 3D glasses fast enough to support every wow. screen.
2: So it must have been, it must have just been like a, like a blue and red 3D. No, it
0: was polarized.
2: It was polarized? Yeah.
0: Really?
1: Yeah. Originally? Yep. That was, was going to be my very question.
2: But how don't you need a, uh, a special projector for, for that then?
0: I don't know the technology well enough to tell you. I can only tell you that there was a company that was manufacturing polarized lenses for these screenings, and huh. they were operating at high capacity because they needed 5 million because they actually gave out glasses at every screening and did not expect the glasses back. So this was a situation where every screening needed a new theater full of glasses. Huh. Yeah
1: well i guess because i think of things like captain eo right and that was polarized and that had to be in the like the mid to late 80s yeah something like that um but yeah as far as projection that's a good question i i, I don't know how you would project that okay
2: i'm, I'm googling it I'll, I'll learn before the end of this episode
1: and I, I wanted to say something about the title yeah because uh there is a, a Western called "Duck You Sucker" mm-hmm. with an exclamation point, but it's
0: a it's a comedy, right?
1: No, it's oh, it's a Sergio Leone. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm thinking of something else actually. Yeah, I mean, it probably has a lot of levity in it because it stars James Coburn.
0: Yeah, uh, I was thinking of "I'm Gonna Get You Sucker." So
1: that's what it kind of the coming at you it kind of reminded me. Yeah, of that.
0: The box office faded fast, though, but it brought in enough to warrant a second 3D adventure with the same team in 1983's. Treasure of the Four Crowns, which is getting a 3D Blu-ray soon from Kino Lorber. This May it comes out.
1: I was just looking up when Jaws 3D came out.
0: That's coming up soon. I think that's 82 or 83. Exactly, yeah. 83, right? 83. Yeah. We start the film in black and white. H.H. Hart wanders through a dusty ghost town. He pushes through a set of double doors into an empty stable, and we get this really cool insert of a cowboy boot in full color, stepping directly onto camera. On the bottom where it should say Andy, it says the Lupo Anthony Quintano Company present. Next we see another black and white room and a piece of wood in color floats toward the screen with the words coming at ya carved into it. We watch two feet crossing a room full of hay and then the camera floats up to Hart's face. In his POV, we see a bottle dangling from the ceiling with a snake wrapped around it. Insanely, this is a real live snake that has been scotch taped to a bottle in a spiral oh god but you can see the scotch tape around its neck and around the side (laughs) of it when Hart tips the bottle up to read the label it is stamped with his own name starring tony anthony every single shot here has been ultra deep 3d by the way so signs floating around cowboy boots stepping on us and snakes stretching toward our faces have all been in 3d Hart walks past another scrap of wood that floats toward camera and lights up to reveal the name of gene quintano who will play pike the villain of this piece Hart snatches a bag off of a shelf. One side bears the name of Victoria Abril and the other side says Ricardo Palacios who will play Hart's wife and Pike's brother respectively. This is such a fun way to introduce the cast that I wish every movie did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hart opens a leather saddlebag and pours in the Ricardo Palacios beans into it. Of course, we're seeing this from inside the saddlebag looking directly up as 3D beans rain down on our faces. Next, Hart finds a teapot with the name Louis Gordon painted on the side. Hart tosses it in the leather bag with the beans. Hart finds a rack of ribs just sitting on a shelf covered in dust with the writing credits painted on one side and then tosses it into the bag. (laughs) Next, he finds a knife in a holster and opens it toward camera for maximum 3D effect. He stabs it into a wanted poster for art director Luciano Spadoni. Hart holds a sawed-off shotgun and the four-stock bears the name of director of photography Fernando Arribas. Any interesting information on the? Well, projecting side
2: It seems to me that you would have to have
0: two projectors.
2: Two projectors. Yeah, I would think so. Because essentially you're projecting two images on top of one another right. through the polarized lens to have half of the image like the the gradations like you know are polarized in one direction for the one image and the other direction for the other image that like corresponds to the eye and then the glasses do the same thing so each eye is only seeing half of the image that's at that different depth so you would need two projectors
0: or you need one projector with like a splitter lens
2: maybe i don't know i can't i'm trying to find information on the projector because essentially like it's a stereoscopic image because it's two different images right, right. but i'm trying but you could
0: project two images side by side and then use mirrors to overlap them
2: Optical attachments can be added to a traditional 35 millimeter projector to adopt them for projecting film that is an over-under format in okay. which the in each pair is stacked within one frame. So it would actually frame. be wider
0: than normal aspect ratio.
2: Yeah, but I'm imagining then your your quality's got to go down because if it's a 35, it's it's got to be have each image uh, over-under within a single 35 frame. That makes sense. Yeah. Right, and so then the the over-under is your two projected images, so the polarized lens has the two different polarized directions, one on top, one on bottom, to split the image, and then you have to converge them on your
0: screen. Yep. We see another full-color room, and this time Hart is the only black-and-white part of it. He points the shotgun at a barrel with more names, and it explodes. Weirdly, the next shot is of a black-and-white room with a trough stretching out toward the camera, A watermelon can be seen rolling toward us, with names painted on the side, but they're never pointed directly at the camera, nor are they remotely legible. I assume that we would see these names in a later shot from the intro, but we don't. So, (laughs) they painted names on this watermelon and then never showed the scene where the watermelon names were pointed at camera. Hart cracks the watermelon in half and feeds it to his horse. He lifts one of the horse's feet, and we see co-producer Stan Torchia's name written on the hoof. Hart takes a blanket off of his saddle to reveal associate producer Marshall Lupo's name. Then, inside of another saddlebag is labeled Executive Producer Gene Quintano, and Hart removes a revolver from the bag. The next shot is all black and white except for Hart, in color, firing a gun directly into camera. The bullet hits a board, igniting words written in flash powder that read, Produced by Tony Anthony. Strangely, the most subtle name, aside from the completely illegible ones, belongs to director Ferdinando Baldi, scribbled across the Rio Grande on a map that Hart sets on fire also. We get an extreme low-angle shot looking up at Hart as he checks his watch. In his hand, he holds a pink kerchief. There is a portrait inside the watch, and he stares at the face of a woman. Suddenly, we're transported to a church that very closely resembles the one at the start of Kill Bill Volume 2, sparsely populated, small, shot in black and white. A priest hands Hart a ring, and Hart's new wife, Abilene, slips it onto his hand. Hart returns the favor, sliding a ring onto hers, and they share their first kiss as husband and wife. But right then, the double doors to the church are kicked open by two outlaws, the Thompson brothers, Skinny Guy Pike and Fat Guy Polk.
2: I feel like they don't say any of these names in the movie. Do they say any of these they names do.
0: in the movie? Yeah. Okay. Almost the same shot can be found in Kill Bill as Bee's wedding is interrupted by the deadly Viper assassination squad. They shoot the priest in the heart and Hart in the priest. No, his leg and his
1: arm. <laughs> uh, I really hope that you that you bleep out B
0: when you
1: do the recording. Well,
0: no, and they say it in the second movie. That's true. The squibs from these gunshots hitting flesh are the only colored parts of the scene. Abilene rushes to Hart's side as the outlaws approach. We get POV shots from Abilene's perspective as the two men reach down for her and drag her away from her new husband. Hart clings to the fabric of her dress and tears away a small piece the pink kerchief we saw earlier. The Thompson brothers leave Hart bleeding on the floor as they rush off with his new bride into the blazing sun outside. We come back to Hart, looking at the locket in his watch, and he tucks it away. As his face tilts up, we see a shimmering tear sliding down his cheek. He turns off an oil lamp on the wall, and we cut to his silhouette riding across the plains at sunrise. He blasts full speed through a river for slow-mo shots of water splashing in 3D behind him. He continues riding the full day into the sunset in the opposite direction. He arrives at a burnt down town. The village square is crowded with crucifixes from the people who were killed in the fire or whatever led to the fire. We actually repeat the first shot of the film but in color now as he rides the horse up to a building where we just saw him stock up on supplies. From behind we see what looks like a woman watching him but then we cut to his perspective and it's a dummy with long brown hair and a face painted on the front. No idea why this would be here other than to fake us out he kicks his way into the local church the same one where he was briefly married we get his perspective in black and white as he surveys the demolished altar
1: he's not married anymore
0: uh he was he doesn't know if she's alive anymore i guess
1: fair enough she is (laughs) spoiler
0: he crosses the room to the confession booth and jams a gun directly through the wall at the old man hiding inside Startled by the gun, the old man exhales into a bagpipe and then begs for mercy. He lifts the man's bag and dumps its contents on the ground. Inside, he finds all sorts of gold and bronze objects. He collects from the pile a music box and opens it to enjoy the tune within. I think it's Darling Clementine. The old man speaks the first words we've heard so far and explains that he's a drifter who has seen the Thompson brothers destroy many villages in this area he hid in the hills from the massacre but came down to aid the survivors in burying the dead and tending to the wounded though judging from the contents of this pack i would say he came down much later and just took all their gold
2: i don't we don't see any of their survivors here do we right
0: there's nobody else here so it doesn't explain why he would be here unless he's just looting the place yeah hart grabs the old man by his collar and asks him a single question what did they do with the women You'll take the high road, and I'll take the low road, and I'll be in Scotland afore he. Where did these brothers take the women? For me and my. Instead of answering, the old guy sings a Scottish drinking song. We cut directly to where the women are being held, and a huge spoon on a long stick is being extended toward camera for obvious reasons. The women here are eager to drink from the spoon. There's probably 50 of them crowded into a very small room. They're packed so tight that they're sitting two across on each step of the stairs that spiral around the room to the second floor. We see Abilene among these women, eager for the water cup being passed around, but when she gets it, she pours the water into a friend's mouth who is too weak to do it herself. We cut back to Hart as he rides his horse in search of the brothers and realizes that the preacher from the abandoned church is right behind him. I don't think the guy's a real preacher, but he's credited as the preacher because he right. was hiding in the confession booth. The preacher offers his services to Hart, and Hart agrees to take him along for the ride. As they continue into the distance, the color slowly fades from the picture, and we end in black and white again. Whether or not a shot is in color seems fairly arbitrary at this point.
2: I, don't, I think that all points. I could not figure it out.
0: I mean, I understood why having a flashback in black and white makes sense. Sure. And maybe even more flashback when he comes back to the church, but it doesn't seem motivated by the story that this random shot would lose color well i think they're I, just showing off
2: yeah i don't know it just seems weird because later it doesn't it doesn't correspond to memory and right. it doesn't correspond like i was like well maybe it corresponds to like loss or pain sometimes or it does like that. sometimes but it seems sometimes too. it yeah. doesn't sometimes yeah. it just yeah. happens to be black and white it seems
0: We cut back to the small building full of captured women at night, and a bat flutters into frame. It's clearly a rubber bat on a string, but we follow it around the room for a while because it's a 3D movie, and bats on strings are fun.
1: (laughs) The sequence goes on for. It's like seven minutes
0: of a bat bouncing on a string. The women are obviously terrified and scramble over each other to get away from what are now several bats. Many race up the stairs to escape, but there's no railing on these stairs, and by the end of the scene, two women have fallen from them to their deaths in the commotion. Abilene nearly falls off the side herself, and her hair is frighteningly close to a large torch, but she catches herself and pushes the bat backward toward camera to escape. So it's supposed to be like, ah, scared us. (laughs) <laughs> the thompson brothers finally arrive and pike fires a handgun once into the ceiling which scares the bats away immediately
1: the women screaming apparently was not yeah, enough to nothing, drive the bats away, but over.
0: one gunshot and the bats are like oh we're out of here
2: i don't even know how there was a bunch of bats in here in the first place it,
0: there, this is a belfry no i don't know what this <laughs> building is many of the female screams in this scene are actually borrowed from dario argento's inferno released in italy the previous year and by borrowed i mean they were quickly returned what The rest of the women mourn the two who fell to their deaths. Abilene demands help from their captors and when Polk ignores her she calls him a fat pig. He yanks her up from the floor by her hair and starts slapping her around, eventually choking her against the wall until his brother Pike interrupts. Polk! Stop! Uh Hey! Take it easy, huh? Uh -huh. Uh huh? She called me a fat pig uh, forget about her here why don't you go have some fun pike suggests Polk ignore these women and go find something fun to do it turns out find something fun to do means ride a horse out to the nearest property and rape the woman who lives there pike instructs another henchman to send men with polk so he's not alone we cut to a house off the beaten path and a woman carries her baby into the yard she has prepared a bath for it And they essentially perform a 3D colonoscopy on this kid because she plops the baby's ass right down on the camera. We get a random insert of a bunch of 3D bunnies, including an adorable baby bunny sleeping in a bush. We see the husband and father of this family up in a tree dumping olives he has collected into a bag below. Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone dumping olives out of a tree?
2: Yeah
0: richard what was that from for your eyes only that's right
2: yeah oh yeah on the hillside and they're driving down the car jumping over all these people (laughs) that's right collecting olives yeah
0: the man notices an incoming carriage and runs back to the house to warn his wife of polk's approach she takes the baby inside the carriage slows to a stop outside the house and polk steps down carrying a little blue parasol to shade him from the sun He walks over to the bucket that the young mother just used to fill the bath and Polk dumps a couple gallons of water over his face. (laughs) He snaps his fingers, which is all the indication his assistant needs, to jump down from the carriage and kick in this family's door before dragging the husband and baby outside.
1: I thought for sure they were here just to take the woman. Right. Because that seems to be their M.O.
0: But I guess they're letting her live here, out in the middle of nowhere. Polk has a certain fondness for the child and I think we're meant to understand that this is his child being raised by this other man Mm -hmm. instead of Polk. Yeah. Polk removes a gold coin from his pocket and places it in the man's mouth before stepping inside to have his way with the mother. Polk lights a cigar and undresses to his pajamas on the bed and the young mother strips completely nude to join him. When she lays beside him his hand reaches out and caresses her thighs. He demands she look into his face but she can't bring herself to do it. He forces a kiss on her and outside we see Polk's assistant, and the musician they brought along, climbing a ladder to the roof of the building. Polk demands a song to fuck to. Music! Music! Instead of music, a pair of gunshots ring out. And the assistant and guitarist both tumble down the stairs into the house. They're followed by a man in cowboy boots, with a shotgun in one hand and a guitar in the other. It's Hart. As he crosses the room toward Polk, Richard joked that he looks very El ish and then right on cue, Hart smashes the guitar over Polk's head.
1: Do people still know who El Elkabong is?
0: I hope so.
2: Don't look at me. I don't know.
0: You don't know who Elkabong is? It's a Hanna-Barbera character in westerns, and he would smash people over the head with guitars? Mm-mm. So
2: that's el Yep. And there's more cabons. Where that cabong from.
0: The old preacher pokes his head into the room to inform Hart that this man is named Polk Thompson and that he's one of the brothers who stole Abilene, as though Hart didn't already know that. I'm sure he's traumatized by that whole incident. He knows yeah. who this is. Hart kicks Polk around the floor demanding information on his wife's whereabouts. Polk agrees to tell Hart where Abilene went, but warns him that he might not want to know. We cut to what is essentially a sex slave auction. All the women the Thompson brothers have captured are dressed up in lots of makeup behind a curtain on stage. They're revealed to a long table of prospective pimps and madams in fancier clothes. The women are paraded down the table in line, and the bidding guests can't keep their hands off the merchandise. Outside the building, we see Hart and the preacher pull up on a horse and then jump to the ground. Hart cocks his shotgun before heading inside, and the preacher offers to stay out here. It is Abilene's turn to strut the catwalk for the customers. She seems the most uncomfortable so far. We see Hart sneaking into the girl's living space, creeping down the stairs while the auction goes on next door. On the ground floor, he finds the sick girl that Abilene was caring for. She's being taken care of now by two other girls, and he tells the three that he plans to break everybody out. Back at the auction, people are groping at Abilene to decide on a price. 300 Hold it. Now this girl's a virgin. She was going to be married, never been touched.
1: Come on, Pike. You know this ain't no virgin.
0: The bidding continues as two older men climb on stage with her and tug her in opposite directions. Everybody laughs as Abilene is practically molested on stage. As she fights back against the men, she notices Hart in the crowd and freezes. The audio from the room fades out, and it's replaced by a haunting voice singing. Hart moves through the crowd, and Abilene follows him with her eyes. Eventually, Pike notices that something's up, and Hart starts blasting away at the men operating the auction. He quickly has his sawed-off shotgun to Pike's neck against one of the room's columns. Hart makes it clear that he has Pike's brother Polk hostage, and Pike tells his own henchmen to stand down and await Hart's demands. Two large horse-drawn carriages pull up out front, and all of Pike's men are marched out of the buildings with their hands on their heads. They're instructed to lay down on the ground, while the women are marched into either of the two carriages to be taken away. Abilene doesn't want to leave Hart behind, but Hart thinks holding Pike hostage in person is the only way for them to get a head start. Hart waits with a gun pointed at Pike for another few hours. Pike still tries his hand at threatening Hart. You're sitting there thinking, maybe I'll get out of here alive, and maybe I won't. Maybe I'll see my wife again, and maybe we'll start a new life, and maybe I won't come after you and kill you. It's uh, too many maybes for me. Hart demands Pike lead him to whatever stockpile of gold they have here, and Pike distracts him long enough for one of the henchmen to sneak around the room and lasso Hart around the neck and yank him backward out of his chair.
1: Yeah, see, I think I feel like Hart got greedy. Yeah. I, I think had he had he just kind of like not cared about the gold. He All he had to like, do was
0: keep his wits about him yeah. while he held on to these guys. And I don't know how somebody got out of their chair and snuck around him without Hart noticing. But you're right, he was paying too close attention to Pike.
2: But I also feel like if I was the guy distracting him, I'd be a little nervous about a guy lassoing him from behind. Then I'm like, he's still got a gun trained on me.
0: That's I true. Think he think you pull
2: this trigger But what, are, quick. what is
0: your other option? You can't tell him to stop. Yeah. They get the gun away from Hart and the tables have turned. Pike has a gun to Hart's neck and demands his brother's location. Hart tells him repeatedly that he'll tell him in the morning to be sure that Abilene has a full night's head start. Pike tosses hard around a bit and then brands him with a red hot steel bar. Where's my brother? Uh, I'll tell you
1: in the morning. (laughs) Where's
0: my brother? (laughs) I'll tell
2: you in the morning, son of a bitch.
0: Later we see Hart strung up on a rope in an attic and Pike opens a nearby treasure chest to reveal that it's filled to the brim with gold coins. The letters L-O-V-E are tattooed across Pike's knuckles and later we'll see hate on the other hand. A reference to Robert Mitchum's Reverend Harry Powell character from the 1955 film The Night of the Hunter. Do you guys recall the last time we saw words tattooed across a character's knuckles? Uh, yes. No. What do you got, Richard? The Blues Brothers. That is correct. Oh, yeah. Jake there you had go. Jake and Elwood had Elwood, so the OD was on the other hand because <laughs> there weren't enough fingers. <laughs> Pike offers to show Hart the gold he asked about, and he takes two big handfuls of coins and dumps them over the man's face for no reason other than another exhibition of the 3D technology. They leave to find Polk at the location Hart specified, and if he's not there, they tell Hart he'll be sorry. We cut to a big empty church where Polk is tied to a big wooden log in a kneeling position with his arms outstretched. He starts to hear some squeak sounds from the building and we notice rats approaching. Very quickly, he is surrounded by them when Pike's men push through the doors to rescue him.
1: The, the, these rats, this whole rat scene is pretty intense because one, mm-hmm. the rats have like these crazy red eyes that I think yeah. is a trick of the light being yeah. projected onto them.
0: And they also seem to be like smeared with grease or something so their hair's all spiky and Yeah.
1: Uh, and there's just like the like this intense sniffing
0: yeah like like but in 3d and they're like on little sticks right up against the camera yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: and they're actually like on him and gnawing on his body before he gets rescued here
1: what was the guy um what was the guy john goodman was playing in the movie matinee the guy who did all the the real
0: guy the real the real kind of like theater stunts you're talking about william castle
1: yeah yeah who and I feel like this this moment would have been great to have like puffs of air blowing out around like your ankles and stuff like that mm. I
0: wonder if there's a William Castle 3d movie it seems like that would have been right up his alley yeah well, for sure I mean it's basically the same thing as a I mean the 3d stuff because yeah. it's stuff coming out of the screen at you but it would be elements from the film instead of just a prop in the theater <laughs> as Pike removes the rats from his brother he tosses each one quite intentionally directly into the camera The rescue scene is reminiscent of Marcellus Wallace's rescue in Pulp Fiction. Pike tries to calm his brother Polk down by informing him that he caught the guy who did this, and Polk is excited at the prospect of revenge. It'd have been worth him doing it, just so I could have caught him. What a fucker. We see the caravan of rescued women moving through the desert, but unfortunately, Pike and his men spot them from on top of a hill. They chase the women's carriages all the way to a nearby beach. The girls jump from their wagons and scatter but are quickly rounded up by the men on horseback abilene and another girl hijack one of the freshly emptied wagons and try to race away but it's moving too fast now and the wheels break off and abilene is thrown to the dirt
1: we all kind of recognize this beach from like multiple movies yeah um but i i mostly know it uh know it from baron munchausen
0: right and it's in spain right it's it's in spain yeah uh
1: and but it was also the same beach that was used in last crusade when he scares uh, the birds he scares the birds into the airplane engine
0: Pike follows Abilene to the water and throws a lasso around her. She runs along until the loop tightens around her ankles, and then Pike, on horseback, drags her through the surf by the rope. There's no movie magic here, just a woman getting dragged through the surf by a horse running full speed on the beach.
2: Feels pretty awful. Yeah. Like, very realistic, and I can't imagine how she would indicate to them that she's having a problem.
0: Yeah.
1: They didn't need a safe word.
2: <laughs> that you can shout when your mouth's full of seawater.
0: <laughs> the safe word is, I love it.
1: <laughs> I was swimming
0: in raw sewage. I love it.
1: That's the signal, let's go. Do it, Do it, go.
0: Right. When Pike leans down to finally help her up, she spits in his face and he pushes her head under the water. Back in the attic of their stronghold, Polk pokes a long knife in Hart's face as he hangs from the same post, still covered in gold coins stupidly instead of fighting the man who was tied up polk cuts him loose expecting to win this rematch for no apparent reason polk and hart continue fighting for a while up here knocking over all kinds of treasure and eventually hart is defending himself from knife swings with a big metal pot he shoves polk backward into a chair where he seems to die instantly yeah hart is confused why polk has died but collects his things to leave along with two sandbags full of presumably gold
2: I wasn't actually clear that he was dead here. I'm like, well, he stopped moving, but right. he's just sitting there. Yeah. Its but eyes his eyes are open. open and like, then
0: Hart walks up and, like, pokes his belly with the pot. Like, is, he this, pokes, is this guy dead? He <laughs> pokes, poked. I, I,
1: I thought, like, he was knocked out. Yeah. But, like, but still had his eyes open. Like, just.
0: He, but there wasn't even, like, a head strike that yeah. would knock yeah,
1: him
2: out. Yeah, I, but I, I agree with you, Richard. I thought he was unconscious. And I was like, oh, you should kill him. And instead he just walks away.
0: Yeah. As he tries to leave, Hart is suddenly dodging spears being thrown across the room at him. Of course, we see this from his POV, so we get the full 3D benefit. Hart manages to avoid the now-flaming arrows and get out of the building, but then stupidly runs into another giant wooden building across the yard.
1: Not only a wooden building, but a wooden building full of dry hay. Yeah, perfect.
0: The Native American henchman continues throwing flaming arrows at the barn until Hart is completely surrounded in flame. He tries pointlessly to fight the fire, but the arrows are coming hard and fast now, and Hart continues dodging them over and over. Eventually, everything in the room is on fire, including his sandbags full of gold. He collects them from the floor and then busts his way through a wall to escape the fire. The Native American notices him charging with a spear, seconds too late, and Hart plunges it into the man's chest, killing him. Of course, the man spins around and stumbles toward camera a bit, with the spear protruding from his chest at maximum depth. Although it does feel a little bit Monty Python and the Holy Grailish, because he's running from really far away, and then suddenly the spear is already in the guy's chest. Yeah,
2: I think that the all all of the gimmicks where they're really really strong depth with it coming directly at the center of screen were yeah. the ones that worked the worst out of all of yeah, them. Yeah,
0: because that's where the differential in the picture is the widest.
2: Yeah, um, but like the the, the wide shots actually looked pretty darn good you know in in 3d and then these 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 gimmicky ones were the ones where it just broke
0: yeah like when he's pointing the gun directly into camera at the beginning yeah that part looked really bad because the pictures are so far offset
2: yeah but when he's just standing with the old man in the desert and they're just on a horse and i'm just like this actually looks really nice my
0: favorite shot was actually in terms of the 3d use was when he's watching the music box because there's mirrors across the back of the music box so it just adds an extra level of depth that you can see the reflection of the dancing figure in the box it it was cool
1: but they also did some weird stuff that we had issues with in that some of the stuff that was in the the far background was 3d but they was spread too far apart
0: yeah it was like somehow it was reversed so that the, the images in the background were further spread out than the images in the yeah. foreground yeah
2: well and it, it's a little unclear though and it, it's probably unfair to judge the 3d of this movie from this blu-ray copy because it appears as though they did do conversion on it lots of some, conversion s- some yeah. sort so because in the credits they had multiple companies credited uh in terms of the 3d so it must have been converted and yeah, some it's, some it's possible some did better than others it yeah seems. <laughs> they might have done their
0: own back plates and depth mapping and their, their exactly. whole whole redo of shots yeah pike and his men return on their horses with the women in tow to find the barn ashes and the native american henchmen dead pike realizes this doesn't bode well for his brother and heads inside where they had Hart tied up before as pike inspects the attic it is now black and white for whatever reason i guess because he's sad because he knows what he's going to find here he finds his brother dead in a chair, and when he tries to lift him, he notices that Polk was impaled by a spike in the chair, which is what killed him. Polk got Polked. He falls forward to reveal the pin that he was stabbed on, and it is speckled with bright red blood, the only color in frame. Outside we see Pike leave the building in black and white, but everyone else is in color. It's just him that's black and white in this shot. By now, Pike knows that Abilene is special to the man who killed his brother, and he calls her aside from the wagon of girls. He throws her to the ground and starts choking her with his hands until we cut away. We see Hart riding his horse along the path the women should have taken until he finds the broken-down wagons on the beach. He quickly puts together that the women were recaptured and heads back to the Thompson brothers' hideout. We get this shot of Hart riding his horse through what looks like a 10-foot-tall canyon in some mud flats, but it very closely resembles a scale model of the Grand Canyon, yeah. <laughs> which makes Hart look like some kind of spaghetti western kaiju and now i want to see that movie (laughs) as he continues along the path he notices that the rest of these canyon formations are filled with the corpses of the kidnapped women hart follows the line of bodies filmed all in black and white until he sees one in color facing away from him he dismounts his horse and gets down real close to turn her face over but it quickly grays out and she's made up to look like a corpse so it's hard to tell if this is abilene or not but i don't know why he'd be kneeling next to this person if it wasn't
2: That's also a really weird trick to be like, this one body's in color, but it's not the one you're
1: looking for.
0: I also don't know why only this woman would be in color if she's just like all the other women, but maybe she was the sick woman that Abilene was caring for? That's the best I can guess.
1: I I, I guess the only other thing I can think of is he thought it was her? Yeah, maybe. Like, it looked enough like her, but... That he was
0: sure for a second. Hart cries silently, and then hears two buzzards fighting nearby. He notices what they're fighting over is the preacher staked to the ground in the shape of a crucifix but alive with a canteen dripping one drop at a time into his mouth hart unties the man and dumps water over his face instead of giving it to him like water in the real world this is how people drink from canteens and westerns yeah because sipping carefully wasn't invented until the late 1800s <laughs> the preacher shares with Hart some silver lining
1: killed them all
0: all the women except your wife the preacher tells Hart that pike is taking his brother's body home across the border to a town called quiet dell which doesn't sound much like a mexican town to me but who or, knows? or
1: are they in mexico now
0: oh i don't know maybe they are in mexico now because they were selling them to the mexican madams and pimps yeah they were selling the women so maybe you're right maybe they're crossing back into america to quiet dell Hart has three days to get there if he wants to save his wife we cut to the tombstone of Polk Thompson, which is labeled My Brother, 1841 to 1876 pike drops a bundle of flowers on his grave we also get glimpses of other headstones like their fathers also pike thompson born 1805 died 1864 so just 12 years ago last we see mom's headstone bonnie thompson born 1812 also died 1864 maybe in the same incident that killed her husband do you guys recall the last time we saw the headstone of a mother and father who died the same year and potentially at the same time
2: wait say that again
0: do you guys recall the last time we saw the headstones of a mother and father who died the same year and potentially at the same time? You don't. I Spoiler d- alert, you I don't.
1: don't. Oh, okay.
0: Earthbound. The very first scene, the kid and his grandpa are at a graveyard oh. Uh, oh before God. they head back to the hotel and meet aliens. I
2: would not have gotten that. How do you remember that?
0: Because we made some dumb joke about it. <laughs> and therefore it's all it takes cemented
2: forever but you don't remember to pick up milk on the way home. I also
0: don't remember what the joke was <laughs> that's but you new joke
1: the, you remember there was a joke
0: yeah there was a great joke there <laughs> so funny we're so funny Wind starts throwing up dust around the cemetery and they retire to the ghost town of Quiet Dell. we cut back to Hart on horseback beginning the long journey across the border and for just this one shot a dog is chasing him over a hill <laughs> but we'll never see this dog again <laughs> I'm convinced it belonged to someone on production who just couldn't control it for this one moment and they left it in the film because who gives a shit? (laughs) Back at the ghost town, the camera tracks along a barroom floor until we see Abilene in her torn up dress sleeping in the dust. She wakes suddenly and a breeze tosses her hair about. She notices Pike sleeping nearby, leaned back in a chair abilene watches the classic saloon doors of the building and suddenly a scrap of paper blows in over the doors and is lit in bright blue in the air it flutters to the ground near her but she can't reach it pike awakens and walks to her as the scrap flutters back into the air pike intercepts it and tears it to shreds we cut to sunrise the next day and hart is closing in on the finish line we see many camera angles on the dusty ghost town and abilene is tied to a post in the town square
2: but what was the piece of paper?
0: No idea. I guess just the sign that he was coming, but, but it wasn't. How was like, it a sign that he it was wasn't coming? her kerchief? I don't know. Yeah. It was colorful and interesting, as she seemed like it was a sign of hope. But it's not referenced anywhere else in the film. But
2: why did he tear up this random piece of paper?
0: Because it was giving her hope, and he could tell.
2: He could tell that it was the one thing that wasn't black and white.
0: That's right. Because he has eyes. This is
2: Pleasantville here.
0: <laughs> With rods and cones. <laughs>
1: he doesn't see things in black and white like
0: everyone else he's the only non-colorblind person we get some more 3d stuff pike flips a coin a henchman whips at a busted tumbleweed in the street another henchman drops a yo-yo directly toward camera which we'll see again with a yo-yo specifically in our next 3d movie friday the 13th 3d next season Another henchman seems to be eating dry corn on the cob and then just scrubbing kernels off of the cob toward the camera for no reason.
2: You don't eat dried corn like that. What is that? But if you're going
0: to eat it, you don't (laughs) waste it by scrubbing it off onto the floor.
2: I, Sorry.
0: I don't understand either half of this action. Another henchman tries to sleep while a fly on a string buzzes around in front of his face another henchman peels an onion and drops the shavings down toward the camera like they're really running out of ideas like what else can <laughs> we sort of drop down on this camera i got an onion perfect
1: just just have some guy going to the bathroom it's yeah like, uh it's amazing right they didn't camera. do that yeah <laughs> you, know what, you, know what, oh, you know it would have been good like to have like uh like birds pecking at something like a corpse and just have like the pov of like looking down up up at all these birds pecking at the camera yeah yeah
0: yeah Suddenly, everybody has a spirit animal. One dude pulls a scorpion out of his pocket, and a tiny snake slithers out of another dude's scarf. We see Pike drawing cards from a deck and then frisbeeing them toward camera. He does a little shooting practice by exploding bottles of liquor at the local bar, unclear why anyone would abandon this town and leave so much alcohol here, unless they were killed where they stood.
2: There's one bottle that's like hanging from a rope too yeah it's like, the
0: same way that the bottle was hung up with the snake on it because it was horizontal but hanging from two ropes
2: but like who went to all that effort like did he go I I and guess. hang a bottle from a rope just to shoot it down so that he
0: could swing it back and forth like that i okay. think he intentionally did that another henchman wakes up his friend by hucking a knife across the porch and stabbing it into the wall beside his head suddenly they hear far-off gunshots As Hart comes racing around the windmill at the end of the main road, all of Pike's men duck around corners to load their weapons and take aim. Maybe you should have loaded your weapons earlier, guys.
1: That's how accidents happen.
0: Yeah. Not loading your weapons. Hart hides behind the windmill and shouts to Pike that he should release Abilene because this is between the two of them.
1: She ain't got nothing to do with it! So just cut her free and you got me! No, Hart! Save yourself!
0: Pike likes Hart's plan and unties Abilene to release her. Abilene starts running full speed toward Hart, but of course, Pike pulls out a revolver and fires on her just as she's reaching him. She collapses to the ground, and Hart jumps down to tend to her. He drags her into a boarded-up general store and sets her down. She tells Hart that there are too many men here for him to defeat.
1: They're too strong.
0: We ain't gonna fight him. We're gonna kill him. Abilene nods in approval at this new plan, and Hart tells her to wait here until he gets back. Where did she get shot?
2: I know. Like, at this point, I am 99% sure she's dying any second here.
0: I thought she was going to be dead in the street, and then when he carried her to the next building, I was like, oh, they're going to have their final moment in here in privacy. Yeah. And then that didn't happen, so I was like, okay, I guess she's all right. But unless she got shot in, like, the arm or something, then he should just put her on a horse and try and get her to a doctor as quick as he can, right? Suddenly, Pike's men are leaping through all the boarded-up windows of the building, and each of them is catching a full load of buckshot in the chest, because Hart is quick on the draw.
2: But he's got he's got—he's—and he's got a pretty cool shotgun here. Yeah,
0: it's like a sawed-off with, like, a gold.
2: But at no point do I ever see him reloading this thing. No, not and once. And I cannot imagine it holds more than two shots, but yeah. he is shooting people left and right.
0: Yeah. He kills about seven dudes in the same fashion outside pike sends in more men and hart switches to a revolver to take them out one last henchman enters the building and sees the floor carpeted with bodies but no Hart. he steps out of the building onto the porch and unfortunately stops just above a hole in the floor we notice with an insert that hart is hiding underneath the porch and extends his shotgun through a hole until he is shooting this man almost point blank in the balls with it four of pike's henchmen have heard enough and ride their horses out of town to avoid being next on the corpse pile. Hart sneaks around town with his shotgun, listening for hints of Pike, but weirdly, one of the last henchmen comes screaming around a corner with a knife, and then just collapses to death without Hart doing anything. Yeah. I guess this is a guy he shot earlier. Right, right. He's just taking his time to die. Hart enters a building and stops at the top of the stairs, where Pike suddenly leaps out of the darkness to tackle him, and they both roll down the stairs together. When they slide to a stop at the bottom, Hart finds that Pike has wrapped a noose around his neck and quickly hoists him into the air. Inexplicably, two hay bales are knocked off an upstairs balcony and land on Pike's head, causing him to lose his grip on the rope and drop Hart to the floor.
2: But, like, that is pure coincidence. Right. That he is saved in this moment.
0: Yes. And when I say they are pushed, I mean, you can literally see an arm pushing them over, but there isn't supposed to be anyone else in this building with them.
1: I mean... I assumed at at the mo in the moment that it was Abilene. No,
0: but, but she's, she's not in this building, she's not, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so I'm
1: saying like I I thought I thought they would do an insert of her, right. up there, like.
0: But you can see someone wearing a blue shirt with a long blue sleeve pushing these things over, and it's like there's not supposed to be anyone else in this building. They're they're supposed to be falling over on their own, and even that doesn't make sense.
2: But yeah, but then they fall over on their own, like story wise. You're just like you you've removed all his autonomy to have saved her and himself from this moment like yeah he
0: lost the fight it's
2: just coincidental that they survived
0: yeah pike lunges for Hart repeatedly with an axe and bashes several jugs of grains to pieces so we can enjoy exploding piles of 3d grain in slow motion Hart races back upstairs where he finds a big piece of wood and reappears to smash it against pike over and over knocking him back down the stairs having defeated pike We get black and white footage of Hart preparing to leave town, and we see he has tied Pike to the blades of the windmill. Pike screams for Hart to release him. Cut me down, you son of a bitch! Instead of releasing Pike, Hart triggers a series of explosions, and the fireballs are the only thing in color. The explosions get closer and closer to the windmill and then stop. Hart rides his horse out of the smoke with Abilene behind him. Pike suggests a partnership between the two. Maybe! Maybe we can make a deal. Maybe we can go partner. Hart, Maybe. Maybe we ought to talk about this.
2: He ain't going nowhere with all them maybes.
0: AJ, hot? I'll get you, you bastard! I swear it. Hart raises a gun and shoots at the windmill, triggering one final explosion. And Pike is just demolished here. He's just specks of blood in the air. Hart and Abilene ride off together into the sunset.
2: I do like the uh the the explosion uh being roto out here in color. It was yeah. really good.
0: Yeah. They did a good job just around the edges of the flame and everything. Yeah. Over the 3D conversion credits, we get a montage of all the deepest 3D shots with random elements colorized. A gold sword, green rats, blue bats. But uh, it's all pretty neat. Um, I enjoyed the film. I think it's a fun story. It's very simple, obviously. Um, It's just like, uh, I have a thing you want. Oh, I have a thing you want. Back and forth until the good guy wins. And he gets the girl. And he kills the bad guy. And that's really all you want from a Western.
1: Well, I would have liked some of the other girls to
0: have survived yeah. no i kind of wanted them all to die
1: <laughs> I, I was really surprised that that happened i was like oh okay well i guess he really was just in this to get his wife anyway yeah so
0: but at that point in the film we had seen one of the wagons come back already full of girls right and so i assume they only killed the other girls because the other wagon was broken and so they only killed half the girls well, maybe but i think the implication is that they killed literally all of them because the girls are all gone after that. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Well, and the preacher I think says he, he killed He them killed all.
0: everyone except for your wife. And it's like, wow, this guy's terrible at revenge. Because it's I killed his brother and he killed everyone I don't care about.
2: And, <laughs> and all my revenue stream. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, it's his own money yeah.
0: <laughs> in this in this canyon here. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: But he's in grief.
0: Right. He's just, yeah, raging out. But you would think that' In that case, he would never have been able to stop himself from choking Abilene to death when he had his hands on her throat. But he stopped himself, and so he lost the fight.
2: It was okay. I mean, yeah. like, it wasn't a terrible movie, but it wasn't a good movie.
0: No, and it was fun, and the 3D, like you said, worked really well on the wide shots.
1: It's amusing. Yeah. yeah. It's not long, either.
0: Really. No, it's less than an hour and a half, so. Um, so it moved right
1: along. Yeah, for the most I, part and i
0: still think if you have a way to see this in 3d if you can find the 3d blu-ray that it's worth checking out at least just for, well
2: I, but that's just it like if it if you're not watching it in 3d it's definitely not worth.
0: yes checking no out. i yeah. i think that's actually true i think without the 3d gimmick there's there's almost nothing to to draw you into this story
1: yeah and our i mean it has that gimmick faded out again for now like our 3d tvs be still being made
0: No, so you have to have one from when they were being made. Yeah. They don't make 3D TVs anymore. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, I
1: didn't know that. They
0: stopped broadcasting in 3D and most streamers stopped offering support for 3D, but Hmm. smart TVs usually don't come with it anymore. But we bought ours in that sweet spot. I well, mean, you got it specifically for I, working on a 3D movie. I got
2: movie. it because I was working on a 3D movie, and then we were done working on the 3D movie, and I took the television home.
0: What 3D movie was that? <laughs>
2: it was Metallica through the Never.
0: So the whole band <laughs> sat on a couch in an office and, and watched, watched my our TV television. Like
2: once, and that yeah. was it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, if, if you're not watching it in 3D, it's not worth it, except to laugh at the parts that are obviously in 3D, but are in 2D for you, <laughs> where you're just like, oh, that's so dumb. That snake is coming out at the screen, but it's yeah. not. It's like watching a rerun of that 3D Drew Carey episode, <laughs> where you're just like, great. I wish I still had those glasses. <laughs> it's still a thumbs up from me, just because it was amusing and fun. And and some of the shots are really artistic. You know, the, the cinematography is decent.
2: Yeah. I I will also, in 3D, give it a thumbs up for for being amusing.
0: Yeah. Richard?
1: I will give it a thumbs up. Uh, I had not seen it and knew nothing about it, and I probably haven't seen a 3D movie since James Cameron's Avatar. Sure, yeah. I think that was the last time I saw something in 3D. Um, So um because 3d doesn't really work for me all that well it doesn't like,
0: work for me either but i i worked on 3d movies yeah. for a long time it doesn't
2: time. work for me either does it work for anyone i, wonder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wah, 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 wonder that's how much of a
1: gimmick it is like no one no one's willing to admit that it's not working yeah.
0: <laughs> the emperor's new dimension
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah um it was an enjoyable experience and and we don't often get to watch movies together
0: yeah um this was a special case because because you had the technology and we had the content no because i had the blu-ray and he no, had the... we had
1: the tv
2: right but he... he had the player and you had the player yeah because we couldn't play it and you
0: yeah we don't yeah, even we have, have a TV. blu-ray player <laughs> let alone a 3d blu-ray player but you have a playstation 4 so that worked with our television yes we have a 3d television for no reason <laughs> because we have no way to play anything I, right.
2: I literally don't think we had ever used the 3d function on we this did. in the 10 years oh that we've no had you this know what TV.
0: we didn't i was thinking of we watched my 3d jurassic park that i got when we finished that but we watched it at my parents house on their 3d tv <laughs> so yeah you're right we've never watched anything 3d on our own 3d television before
1: and and we used my playstation that was the only way i could do it yeah, yeah. exactly
0: and apparently, just a regular Blu-ray player even wouldn't work.
1: Correct. Huh. It's that special, special firmware and software.
0: Yeah. So, be prepared to buy a used television and a PlayStation if you want to watch this movie the way it was meant to be seen. Where's it going letterboxed? Uh,
2: I have it at fifty-six out of ninety-six. Wow. It is uh just below Nighthawks and just above. A kind of similar movie, The Lone Ranger. Okay. Because it's just as kind of a blast story.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Richard.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I feel like maybe I have it too high then. Um, I have it at 39, uh, which puts it below Fort Apache, uh, the Bronx, and above Nighthawks.
0: All right. Um, I have it in 54, very close to yours. Uh, it's just under Bloody Birthday and just above Underground aces which i have to say like that (laughs) yeah every time i put something near that movie i I will say this once you get to like
1: of my list once you get to like 47 it's almost all horror films or bad movies
0: honestly everything from coming at you up right now i would watch in a heartbeat (laughs) so everything down to number 54 i would watch right now i would pay ten dollars for a blu-ray but you everything wouldn't do for that up.
2: for underground aces
0: no fuck underground aces <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I think underground aces is better than this movie no it's
0: it's fine
2: it's a it's it's funnier
0: it's fine but i wouldn't watch it again it's <laughs> not funnier it's not funnier than <laughs> coming at you which has no jokes <laughs> literally no jokes in this movie our director here was Ferdinando Baldi. He has lots of writing and directing credits, but sorry to say nothing I recognized, really. Uh, he also directed the same two leads in Treasure of the Four Crowns two years later, which I gather is kind of an Indiana Jones ripoff, but in 3D. So it's like this, but with a slightly higher budget. Which sounds cool to me. <laughs> writer Wolf Lowenthal. His only other credit was a feature called Get Mean, also directed by Baldi. Another writer, Lloyd Batista also acted and starred in several Baldy films, including Get Mean, but doesn't appear in this one. The other writer, Gene Quintano, also played Pike Thompson in the film. This was his first writing and acting credit. He later writes King Solomon's Minds and Alan Quartermain in The Lost City of Gold, as well as Police Academies 3, 4, and 5, so he worked a lot after this movie. Later, he has screenplay credits on Loaded Weapon 1, Operation Dumbo Drop, and Sudden Death. The first of which, Loaded Weapon, he also directed... The guy who plays Pike, the bad guy in this, directed Loaded Weapon 1. That's great. Loaded Weapon's great.
1: Uh, I also uh, have a nostalgia factor for King Solomon's Mines, even though I do recognize that it is a not good movie.
0: So is you've told me, I think, before that King Solomon's Mines and Lost City of Gold are two, like, unconnected movies? Well, no, no. They're connected. Okay. The,
1: like, Richard Chamberlain plays Alan Quartermain in
0: both. Okay, that's what I thought. And that's a, that's probably came on the heels of their having done... Treasurer of the Four Crowns, yeah, and being like, "Oh, this Indiana Jones thing, we can do this with other characters."
1: Exactly, because Alan Quartermain is obviously a celebrated adventure character.
0: Wasn't it public domain at the time? Or
1: Uh, I'm sure it was probably being close to being public domain at that time.
0: The story came from Tony Anthony, who plays the lead character, H.H. Hart. He was a producer and writer of, and actor in, several other Baldi films, probably best known as The Stranger from Luigi Vanzi's Stranger Trilogy. This is his third of four collaborations with director Baldi after Blind Man and Get Mean, and he returns for the 3D follow-up, Treasure of the Four Crowns. Uncredited writer Esteban Cuenca, no other major credits. Other uncredited writer Ramon Plana, again, no other major credits. Music here came from Carlos Avina, who is the performer of La Dolce Vita in Fellini's film and also the love theme in 16 Candles. Editor Franco Fraticelli previously edited Deep Red, Suspiria, and Inferno, and later Tenebrae and Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers for Dario Argento, which is probably where he got the screams for that bat scene. Yeah. Not from Creepers, but because he edited Inferno the year before.
1: Uh, The cinematographer, Fernando uh, Arribas, Uh, did a movie called the blood splattered bride which i believe is one of the chapter titles for kill bill
0: right and there's so much tarantino in this movie like you know he's seen it for sure 100 percent oh yeah especially that shot of the sun shining in the door as they kick in to interrupt the wedding in black and white it's like almost the same framing and there's flowers on the floor of the church and everything it just looks the exact same and there's so many moments here that i feel like he pulled out and used in different movies but this has to be like pretty high on tarantino's list of like Movies he'll just put on and watch at any given time. Victorio Abril played Abilene. She was Lolita and Foul Play. Ricardo Palacios played Polk Thompson. He has mostly acting credits in Spanish films I didn't recognize, but also a few screenplay credits in films I didn't recognize. Rafael Albacin played the auction bidder. That's one of the two men that's on stage trying to yank Abilene around. This was his final credit, but he's a member of Hugo's gang in the original Django. Luis Barbu played another thompson henchman he was credited as red hair in conan the barbarian those are all the credits i have for this one not many it's a simple story there's really only four players that that do much i guess five if you include the preacher but that's about it i think that's everything for coming at you if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram youtube and letterboxd where as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com we also have a discord you can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at vintagevideopodcast.com discord. And if you're listening on YouTube don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Eye of the Needle which IMDb describes like so A ruthless German spy trying to get out of Britain with vital information about D-Day must spend time with a young woman and her crippled husband. We leave you now with a trailer for Eye of the Needle
1: Donald Sutherland Excuse me. Kate
2: Milligan. The bestseller of passion and suspense. Eye of the
0: Needle. Come in. Good evening. I'm Henry Baker.
1: I don't even know what you do.
0: I'm a writer.
2: A man with a past he can't reveal. Very beautiful. A woman with a future. She can't imagine. You just seen David. Just
0: now, yes. Two desperate lovers, trying to escape. He with his secret. She with a life.
2: You see? I'm not going to hurt you this year, promise. But I am coming in. I have to come in. When the moment comes, there is only one choice. Eye of the Needle. The Ken Follett bestseller that you couldn't put down is now the movie you
1: won't want to miss. Eye of the Needle.
0: We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. We are Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. The good. Join us each week as we dive into the depths of streaming movies for the greater good. The good. You can find us on Twitter at Cheap Seat Cast, slash Cheap Seat Reviews, and our website is com. All for the greater good. How can this be for the greater good? good. Shut it!